Amen. Well, good morning, City Light. My name is Doug, as Eric just said, and uh, I get to be one of the pastors for our church. I've got some good news this morning to start us off. The Iowa Hawkeyes beat the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, it's good news. You can celebrate that. Uh, I love good news, and the best news of all is the gospel. The good news that God saves and he loves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And around City Light, we celebrate that good news. We love that good news. We preach that good news. We sing that good news. We talk about that good news in our city groups. And we share that good news with our friends and family, neighbors, and coworkers. We love the good news. But... The good news is good because it first had bad news, right? Like the bad news actually makes that good news seem gooder, (laughs) better. Like, for example, if I were to say, hey, I've got good news. There's a large technology company moving into Council Bluffs, and it's bringing a couple hundred jobs with it. Probably all of us would say, hey, that's good news, but... If you've been unemployed for the last couple of years and been working hard at trying to find a job and you couldn't, and then you hear that a large technology company is coming to Council Bluffs and bringing a couple hundred jobs with it, you'd probably say, oh, that is good news, right? Your bad news situation makes the good news announcement shine brighter. And as much as we love the good news that God saves and loves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we got to be honest about the bad news that we're the sinners, right? We have sinned by nature, by choice, and by habit. You might even say that we can't fully embrace the good news until we honestly admit the bad news. And this morning, City Light, we're going to hear some bad news. Lots of bad news. I'll just be up front. We usually turn the joy level up to 11 around here. This isn't exactly a happy sermon. We're going to be looking at some bad news. I just hope it makes that good news shine all the brighter in our hearts and in our lives. So if you have your Bibles and you haven't turned there yet, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can open that app and get your way there. We're going to look at this story of David and Bathsheba. So at the time of this story, David is king. And ever since David got interrupted from shearing sheep as a teenager to get the news that he was going to be king, David has been an incredible man. He's waited on God's timing in all of this. He's served people, blessed people, empowered people. And it sure seems like David's heart and his life are in a great spot. Then Bathsheba happens. And as we look at this classic and true story of David and Bathsheba, we're going to look at the bad news of sin. We're going to get a real look. We're going to get exposed to the anatomy of sin, what it is, how it works, and why it is so deadly. So the first thing I just want to point out from the story about sin is this. Sin has roots and fruit. Sin has roots that go down deep into our 
hearts, and those roots eventually bear fruit in our lives. Let's look at it in the story. Look at 2 Samuel 11, the first two verses. It starts out this way. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when who goes out to battle? Kings. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So the stage is set. Everything is ready to go, and we kind of know what happens from here. David doesn't just see that beautiful woman. He wants that beautiful woman, and he gets that beautiful woman woman brings her to him. Now at first blush, it seems like this is a shocking, surprising, never saw it coming, fall from grace in the life of David. But we just said that sin has roots that eventually bear fruit. So track back with me a little bit in this story of David. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. In 1 Samuel 18, David marries, he gets married to a woman named Michal. Michal was the king at that time, Saul. uh, She was his daughter. David marries her. It's honorable. Everything's great. He's married, one wife. Now go forward a few chapters to 1 Samuel 25. David runs into, kind of comes past this lady named Abigail, who's married to just a loser of a dude named Nabal. Nabal dies, and David takes Abigail as his wife. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible kind of frowns on the whole two wives thing, okay? So that's his second wife. Then go to 2 Samuel chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 2. It says, and sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. Like, who's this Ahinoam lady, right? She's given him another child also, okay? And his second, now we're into verse 3, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Okay, we know who she is. She's the second wife, at least we've heard her name before. You keep going. And the third, Absalom, the son of Makah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. You're like, okay, now who's this Makah gal? And you keep going in those next couple of verses, and you find out David doesn't just have a wife or two wives. He has seven wives, seven baby mamas. Right. Now, First and Second Samuel doesn't come right out and say, oh, that's a sin. It just tells the story of how that did not go well for David. The rest of the Bible tells us that marriage is meant for only one man and one woman, and only death separates them from that covenant. But First and Second Samuel just shows us, and it tells the story in such a way that we see that David's lust problem, his seven baby mama problem, leads to a lot of pain in his life. I often have this image of David as this gifted worship leader, like an incredible songwriter and majestic warrior who never makes any mistakes and always has pure motives. But according to the story and according to what we just read in the Bible, David belonged on an episode of Jerry Springer with some DNA tests and a really upset woman who slaps him on live TV, right? 
And so I think similarly, when we look at David and Bathsheba, often we come to and we think, oh, that's an isolated event. It's, it's kind of shocking and never saw it coming. I mean, David had a little slip up. He made a little mistake and he surprised even himself. But that's not true. David's sin had roots that had been going down in his heart for a long time. And those roots of sin eventually produced fruit in his life. So Bathsheba was just the fruit of those roots that he had. Do you see that? And the same is true for each of us. Sin has roots down in our hearts that eventually bear fruit in our lives. All throughout the Bible, it's a common theme that the words, actions, and attitudes that we can see all come from where? Our heart. Proverbs 4 verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For from it flow the springs of life. So the springs of life are the things we see, the actions, the attitudes, the words. That's all coming from our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we look at the part of our lives, we can see our words, actions, attitudes, things like that, and we see sin there. That's a clue pointing us back to there is sin in our hearts. That might be fruit that we're seeing, but it's traced back to and connected to roots in our hearts. So a friend of mine, a while back, he was courageous and shared with me that um, he struggles with road rage. Now, he's never actually run someone off the road or got out of his car and like beat somebody up, but he said multiple times, he wishes that he could. Like when he gets, um, you know, cut off in traffic or whatever, he wishes he could beat them up. He'll yell at them from his car, flip them off, and then the rest of his day is ruined because he's so mad. And my friend thought that his yelling and his middle finger were the problem, but the yelling and the middle finger were just the fruits of some root that was going on in his heart. Now, this is so crucial. It's so important for us to get City Light because if we never get to the roots of sin in our hearts, we can never change the fruit of sin we see in our lives. For example, um, we have some apple trees on our property at our house. And those apple trees have roots that go down deep in the soil. They draw nourishment, go up through the trunk and the branches, on and on, and then they eventually produce apples. Now, let's just say I don't really like apples, and I'd rather have pears. So I go to Hy-Vee, lots of Hy-Vees, and I just buy them out of pears. I get tons of pears. I take those pears to our house, and I get some duct tape, and I duct tape all those pears on that tree. And then I sit back and I go, that tree has pears on it. I bet next season it's going to produce pears for me. Is that going to work? No, it's not going to work. That's crazy talk, right? If I want pears to be produced, then I need to go take that apple tree, pull it up, roots and all, get rid of it, and actually plant a pear tree in its place. That's how I get pears. I can't get the fruit I want unless first I change the root that I already have. And so it is with sin. And so as I talked with my friend who has the road rage stuff, he was saying, man, I got to stop doing that. That probably doesn't make God happy. Maybe I should wave and smile instead of flip them off and throw the bird at them, right? 
maybe I should do that instead. He was seeing some fruit that he didn't like and wanted to replace it with some fruit that he did like. But then as we talked and he started to connect the dots of the whole roots and fruit thing, he realized he needed God to get down in the roots of his heart and transform him from the inside out. In his own power, maybe he, he could go a few days on his commute and not yell at people or want to run them off the road. But if he invited God into those deep places of his heart where his sin had rooted, he could be a completely transformed man. Sin does have fruit that we see, but it comes from these roots that are in our hearts. That's the first thing we see in this story of David and Bathsheba. So it's, it's bad news, City Light. And it's worse than we thought, right? Sin's not just stuff that we can go change and do a little modification of how we behave. No, it's in our hearts, and we need something to get in there and truly change us from the inside out. So let's go back to the story of David and Bathsheba and pick up another truth about sin that we can see in there. So David's up on his roof, chilling out. He's looking out over his kingdom, sees this beautiful woman. He calls for her. Someone goes and gets her, brings her to him. And at the end of verse 4, well, I should say, to use PG language, they commit adultery, okay? They commit adultery, and at the end of verse 4, it simply says, she returned to her house. And David and Bathsheba might think it was just a one-night stand. It happened, but it'll all go away in the morning. David can just hide it, forget about it, and never have to worry about it again. But that's not the story. We know the rest of the story, and this is where we learn a second truth about sin. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Look at verse 5 with me. The very next verse says, And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So what David thought could just be a one-night stand turned into something so much more. Sin took David further than he wanted to go. So what does David do? Verse 6, he says, David sent word to Joab, the commander of his army, and he says, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. Uriah is one of David's mighty men fighting on the front lines of battle where David should have been, but instead David sends word to get Uriah and bring him back to the king's palace in the hopes and the attempts of trying to cover this whole thing up. So Uriah comes back, and David has this awkward small talk with him, trying to pretend like nothing's going on, and then he says, Uriah, you've been working hard. Just go home. Hang out with your family. Hang out with your wife. And Uriah says, no way. All my buddies are sleeping on the ground. They're off at war. The ark of God is in a tent. I can't do that. So he sleeps on the ground right outside the king's gate that night. David's realizing this isn't working. So the next night, he gets Uriah drunk. Okay, this is in the Bible. He gets Uriah drunk, says, hey, buddy, now just go on home and hang out with your wife, please. Uriah says, not on your life, King David. I won't do that. And that night, Uriah crashes on the couch in the king's house. David is trying to cover up his sin, but it's not working. Sin keeps pulling him further and further than he wants to go. So David decides. He sends a message in the hands of Uriah himself 
to, the, to Joab, his army officer, and says, hey, push the troops forward, and then once you get to the battle, have everybody withdraw, leave Uriah right there so that he can get killed. And so not surprisingly, that happens. The troops pull back, and Uriah gets killed, stranded by his comrades and betrayed by his king. It was supposed to just be a one-night stand. But now David has a pregnant woman and blood on his hands. It wasn't supposed to be that big of a deal, but it is. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Anyone fighting addiction will tell you the same thing. It was just supposed to be a fun night on the weekend, a way to escape some pain, but now it has overtaken your life and you can't imagine a day without it. Anyone who has ever lost it all to the house can tell you the same thing. It just started with $20 free play and a pretty decent buffet, but now you're in debt over your head. You can't pay your bills and you're looking for something, anything that you can sell so that you can have money for the next bet. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. For me, it wasn't drugs or alcohol or gambling. It's what I call the church kids drug, pornography. And it started in a summer in middle school. My friends and I, we would just rollerblade all day long. We were in ditches, half pipes, ramps, just outside playing all the time. And then one afternoon, our friend Stephen Buffum invited us over to his house. And so we go in his house, go in his room. A minute later, he walks in with a big stack of magazines that his dad had. And that day, my eyes saw things that they should have never seen. And in that moment, it, it seemed innocent. It seemed like a bunch of boys in a room kind of laughing at the awkwardness, and then we just go back outside and jump some more ramps. But in that moment, something happened in my heart. Sin gripped me, or maybe I gripped it. I'm not really for sure, but either way, sin took me further than I wanted to go. Sin took me into dozens of late nights in my bedroom with the lights out and just hoping my parents don't walk in. Sin took me to looking at internet images and videos that celebrated and promoted the very things that my public self hated. Sin cost me time, money, friendships, leadership opportunities. And I still remember the night our oldest son was a few months old. And Whitney was doing a Bible study for some high school girls, and so I said, I'll take caveman on home. Well, he falls asleep. I'm stressed out. So what do I do? I go back to my church kids drug. And what started as just a silly afternoon with some buddies of mine ended up bringing pain and harm to my wife, my son, my ministry. It cost me my integrity. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. You can maybe think of it like this. Sin is like spaghetti, not waffles. It cannot be contained. It cannot be compartmentalized. When you say to yourself, oh, it's only hurting me, this won't hurt anybody else, it's a lie. It will hurt 
you and it will hurt everybody else around you. You look at 2 Samuel 11 and you're thinking, oh, David's sin problem is lust, right? But that lust led to using his power to cover things up. It led to lying, and that lying led to manipulating a man by getting him drunk. That lying led to uh, manipulating that man to getting him drunk. All of it culminates in he used his power to get that dude killed. It was murder. So what started as a lust problem ended up leading to murder. He uses his power to get a man killed and then call that man's wife and pretend like he is, she is his own wife. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It can't be compartmentalized. It can't be contained. It touches and it ruins everything else in your life. City Light, please, would you hear this as a warning shot? Would you hear this as a heads up? Your sin will take you further than you want to go. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be played with. It is not trivial. It has teeth and claws that will grip you and hold you, and it's never content to just ruin your day. It wants to ruin your life. In the words of a famous Puritan preacher named John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Well, I told you it wasn't a happy sermon, right? So we've seen, I love you guys. Thank you for letting me preach the Bible. We've seen that sin has roots in our hearts that bear fruit in our lives And we've seen that sin always takes you further than you want to go. The third and final thing we see about sin in this passage is this. Sin is evil. It's evil. Maybe to say it a little more pointedly, God hates sin. Look at that last verse in the chapter. 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. By this time, Uriah has been killed off. And his wife, Bathsheba, has cried her tears. And then it says, And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now, if you stop right there, it would look like maybe David got away with this. Right? Like a valiant fighter, a valiant soldier, tragically dies on the battlefield. David is this incredible man who takes that man's poor widow in and marries her, and God blesses them by giving them a son together. It's a sad story turned glad, but look at the very last sentence in verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Literally, it says, it disgusted God. It disgusted him. So you know what happens, that feeling you get when you, you see something that's just, it's like wrong. It's, it's, it's not right. It's evil. It's almost nauseating, and your stomach inside you kind of turns upside down, and you like almost want to just throw up. That's what it's saying here. What David did was evil in God's eyes. It was wrong. It was horrific. It was disgusting to God. One of the greatest dangers with sin is when we think we get away with it. 
when it goes unnoticed, when it stays off the radar, and we think we're never going to get caught. And I don't like being the bearer of bad news this morning, but I have to preach the Bible. All sin displeases the Lord. All sin is disgusting to God. All sin God hates. Whether anyone else sees it or knows about it, God sees it and he calls it evil. We might want to think it was just a mistake, just a slip up. Or something that I often say is, oh, I am only human, but God says it's evil. We'll take our sin and compare it to someone else's. Well, what I did, maybe that wasn't right, but what he did, oh my goodness, that was so bad. You know, I probably shouldn't have done that, but wow, did you see what she did? We compare our sin to one another as a way of trying to excuse it or lighten the heaviness that comes with sin, but whether anyone else sees it or knows about it, whether we compare it to others or not, God calls it evil. City Light, this is the tragic anatomy of sin. It's real. It hurts. Sin has roots that go down in our hearts that bear fruit in our lives. Sin always takes us further than we want to go. And sin is evil. It's not human error. It's not just mistakes. In the eyes of God, it is evil. So where does that leave us, City Light? What do we do with that? In our tragic story, in our realistic look at sin, in all of our honesty about just how wretched and wrong that we can be, is there any good news? Can all of this bad news please shine a little bit of light on that good news? And I think it can. And here's how. You remember a couple Sundays back, we were in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we talked about God making a covenant with David. It was God's no matter what promise. God told David that he would have a descendant on the throne forever. It would be an eternal kingdom. And God promised that to David no matter what David did, right? And now we know full well that David in no way, shape, or form deserved or deserves that promise from God. David deserves exactly what King Saul got, thrown off the throne, pushed outside of the plans for Israel. David deserves that because of his sin, but God made David a promise, a covenant, a no matter what commitment. So... Bathsheba, eight, nine months later, whenever, she gives birth to a baby boy. Tragically, that boy only lives seven days. Dies at a very young age. But then in their mourning and crying and grieving, David and Bathsheba come together again. She conceives again. And that son is named Solomon. And when David dies, Solomon comes to the throne. And from there, Solomon passes the throne down to Rehoboam, who passes it down to Abijah and then Asa, and then on and on it goes until eventually it arrives to whom? Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verse 6 gives this family tree, this family history of Jesus. Verse 6 says, and David was the father of Solomon. How? 
by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and then you read through all those verses, you get to verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So right there, in the lineage, the family tree of Jesus, is this dark spot, this blight, this sin. Of all the children that David had, it was through Uriah's wife. It was through Bathsheba that Jesus eventually came. So as destructive and devilish and horrible and horrific as David's sin was, God took it and he used it for his glorious and gracious and incredible and loving plans. As evil as David's sin was, it could not stop God's plans. And so City Light, here's what that means for you and for me. Your sin, my sin, our sin, it can never stop God's overflowing, unstopping, passionate, no matter what, commitment of love to you and to me. We can't stop his plans for us. Our sin cannot keep him from loving us. If God can take David's destructive sin and bring something good out of it, then he can take our sin, our evil, our lies, our secret addictions, and he can bring good out of them. City light, you can't sin too far. You can't sin too great. You can't sin too much. Our sin might be deep in there, but his grace is deeper still. Our sin might be dark, but his light shines brighter still. You can't sin too far. You can't sin too much, and you can't sin too great. There's nothing you've ever done or has ever been done to you that can prevent God from loving you. Oh, if you're stuck in sin, if you're in that darkness, can you have the courage this morning? to admit it, acknowledge it, even confess it to someone else and invite the light of God in there. Invite the love of God in there. Because Jesus, Jesus who never sinned, he was the perfect king who never sinned. He took on all of our sin so that you and me can actually become his righteousness, his purity, his goodness. Listen, please hear this personally. Jesus can forgive you because he was absolutely perfect but chose to die for you. He can. Don't tell him he can't. Don't tell him he can't forgive you. He can. Jesus can heal you because he loves you. Don't tell him he can't heal you. Let him heal you. Let him forgive you. Will you pray with me? So, Father, I know it was a weighty morning. There's awkwardness in my heart just because I want to smile and clap or something. But your word is your word, and we trust that it always bears fruit. It never comes back and says, sorry, it didn't work this morning. 
Now, your word is true. It's powerful. It, it has the ability to get into our hearts and souls to kind of separate things out so we can see it. It has the ability to discern what's going on there, to call us out where there's sin, to encourage us where there's righteousness. So I ask, Father, would you, would you do something in our hearts? Would you get in there? Get to those inner parts where we see the roots going down. Oh, God, would your grace go down deeper still? Would you get to the dark spots where these little corners of our heart where, yeah, God, you can be here in my heart, you can be here in my heart, but this part, no, just stay away. Would you, God, go into those dark corners, the dark spots of our heart and just shine that light of love in there? Mm. Father, give us your grace, your love. I just know there's some people this morning who need to hear that you can forgive them. You're not waiting for them to climb out of that hole they're in. You're not waiting for them to do 10 cool things this week or be nice to somebody. You're not waiting for them to fix that problem they created 20 years ago. You can love them right now. You can forgive them right now because your cross is effective enough for that. Would you help us to receive that? Help us to believe that. And then, Father, I pray for conversations this week, city group discussions. Would you be all in that? And may we meet your grace even as we acknowledge sin. May we taste your love and find that you are good even when we're honest that we're not. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.